And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. How do I sound now? I sound okay? Did you ask Pop that question? Let's do it. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. Okay, here we go. And it's another Hoops Adjacent edition of the Athletic MBA Show. David Aldridge, it's raining here in D.C. Marcus, it's not raining in the Bay, but... but Maybe they're crying because of that ass whooping they took last night from the Pacers. Just came into your spot and stomped on you. Nah, no crying. Not the first <laughs> time it's happened. Probably won't be the last. If you remember, yes. they did the same thing last year. Came Is that into, right? Yeah, came in a chase. Nobody was playing, a bunch of backups, and cooked the Warriors. Now, Damn. they weren't the defending champions, but... Right, they're used to uh, getting cooked by the Pacers. Right. <laughs> that, well, the, but the Pacers do. weren't. The, they didn't have their A team either last night, and still whipped that ass. You you couldn't guard your boy Nemhard. He just came in and just housed you guys. Hey man, this this is what happens, man. They, they, <laughs> they do this a good five times a year. Where somebody come in, it's like, what are they doing? But but it does point to a larger dynamic. If Steph is off and he was off, this was the worst game of the season. Yeah, they they just. They just yeah. don't have much of a much of a chance. But right, well, we, we're not we, gonna take away from that all time. No, 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 no. Not taking away rookie. from it at all. Ooh, no. That boy was cooking. Especially at the end of a you know, they're almost at the end of their road trip. So that's why we are bringing in the much smarter than us, Caitlin Cooper, to talk about all things paces from Indy Cornrows. Caitlin, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Superstar, thank you. what's up? Yes. Thanks for finding me in my tiny corner of the internet. I'm excited to be on with you guys. Oh, so let me tell you something. I'm such a big fan of yours. And I will tell you why, because you write different from everybody else who covers basketball. And I thinks think thinks different, thinks different, writes different, right? And and it shows. Like you write. I don't know if you know if you've ever heard of Bob McGinn. Bob McGinn covered the Packers forever for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and Bob McGinn would write game stories that were completely different from everybody else's because he would write about line play, and he would write about you know you know, depth of rece- of the receivers. He wouldn't write about, you know, kind of the facile, easy, low-hanging fruit stuff. I mean, he got really into the weeds. He would talk to scouts during the game about what they see. You know, opposing scouts in the press box. I mean, it was so different from everybody he else. Was, it was fascinating. He was a pioneer of that big draft stuff. He used to do yes, the huge yes, draft breakdown. Yes, like he would crazy. do huge draft stuff and talk to 100, 300, 500 people about it. And Caitlin, you write like that. You just write so differently from everybody else. And I'm always fascinated by why that appealed to you, how that appealed to you, as opposed to writing, I'm not saying better or worse, like, but just like whatever, regular people, like, like me, everybody you know? else writes about basketball. Yeah. You know, it's just different. Yeah, I think it's somewhat a blessing and a curse. Sometimes, you know, it gives you a unique angle. I knew over the summer that, for instance, like I wanted to write about Tyrese Halliburton in the jump passing. I knew that from the first time I watched him play with the Pacers and he was just doing it so often. I was like, I wonder how effective this is. Our youth coaches tell us don't leave our feet when we play basketball. So I knew when it got to be summer, I was going to have enough time to sift through that. But then I found out, I'm like, oh, 
in order to do this, I have to rewatch 26 basketball games and I have to watch every time that Tyrese makes a pass and be able to catalog and know whether that ended in a turnover or a potential assist or assist so that I can have some numbers to actually back up what I'm saying. So um, I, I think it just comes from somewhat my background. I mean, I grew up here in Indiana. My dad was a high school basketball coach and that was kind of how I learned the game. I tagged along with him. And whenever I was in those high school gyms, sometimes I was watching him watch the game more yeah. than I was watching the game and just filtering in everything that he was observing and noticing about, you know, play calls or what players were doing. And I was watching his scouting notes. So that's kind of just the lens that I see the game through. Cause that's, that's what I was around when I was growing up. So, so why basically team, you why? were the, you were the no, daughter, ahead. you were, you were Hayden Penitary and remember the Titans. <laughs> I mean, yeah. honestly, I basically was yeah, the basketball <laughs> version of that. Yeah. I mean, I would really like the actual like racist part of that not to apply to me. I hope that doesn't right. apply to my dad and I. But the actual part of me probably thinking that I knew more about the sport than I did when I was like eleven year old in the gym that that probably applies. I can right, see so, you in the stands going crazy. Come on, guys! Come on, legal come screen. on, coach! <laughs> she was great in that movie. She was great. All right, so why hasn't the team hired you? Seriously. Well, I mean, I can't say too much, but I, I've talked to a couple okay. um, oh, over that's the smart, summer. I've, I've there's had there's some, some smart people. There's been some communication. I mean, I've had some, not to get too personal, but I've had some stuff post-COVID with family health concerns that's kind of mm -hmm. limited some of what I've been able to do. But um, there there has been some interest. I can say that much. Okay. There should be. I mean, again. I've slid in Caitlin's DMs a couple times, by the way. You know what I'm saying? Trying try, try to recruit. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Believe me. I remember reading um, Chris Rock gave this great interview about when he was at Saturday Night Live. And Chris Rock was, you know, the, everybody on the on the comic circuit knows everybody else. But when Lorne Michaels hired him and Adam Sandler, he said, well, why did you hire us? You could have hired anybody, right? And he said, I hired you two guys because of original thought. Like you do original stuff. You don't do the derivative. Isn't the, aren't the airplanes terrible? You know, like they, you did observational stuff that was so different from everybody else's. It stands out. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear that teams see it because I see it and I like to think I'm smart. So that's good. That's good. So when you, you've been covering the Pacers for such a long time, I would think you have some sense of their values as an organization. So, do you do you think they are being consistent in their franchise building? Like the way that you would think a team like Indiana would do it, which is through the draft and being patient. They have not really done that. They have consistently tried to be competitive year after year. And I wonder if you think they're still being consistent in that. I mean, I think there were some breaks from that last season, right? I mean, I think that what we've always heard about Herb Simon as a team governor is that, you know, for instance, he was never going to play in restricted free agency. He didn't agree with that. He didn't want to harm his trade partners. And, you know, they signed DeAndre into a max offer sheet this summer. Um, they had talked about, you know, he wasn't going to sell off players like in the middle of the season that they weren't ever going to go for a full teardown. And, you know, they traded DeMontis Sabonis, a two-time All-Star, that he wasn't going to trade a player for picks and, you know, expiring money. They traded Karis LeVert to the Cavs for picks and Ricky Rubio. So I think there, there slowly was a shift on some of that. And I don't know if that applies to, you know, Rick Carlisle coming over as coach or just, you know, Kevin Pritchard talking to him or what exactly that has been. But um, 
going into the season, they very much presented this as, you know, obviously they've exceeded expectations to this point, but you know, what you had just mentioned that, you know, this was going to take time that there wasn't going to be, that they didn't think there was a quick fix at the trade deadline last year, Mm -hmm. that they knew that they were going to need to, you know, I know that they very much believe in Tyrese and Benedict Matherin, but that this was going to be patient, that they were thinking in three to four year increments rather than one to two. So um, it does feel like that. Now, maybe the team over exceeds that and they've, you know, gone back to what the Pacers have always been just by, you know, um, naturally. But I think that Herb Simon does seem like there's been some change from what we've come to know of the Pacers in terms of, you know, them kind of being associated. I don't know that I necessarily agree with this term, but, you know, rebuilding through the middle and being mediocre. I think that they've been to the Eastern Conference Finals quite a number of times to not necessarily be called mediocre, but um, in the way that they've done it. So why is Miles Turner still there? And when do you expect him to not be there? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the big question, right? Because he's, you know, perennially on the trade block. And then, you know, they sign... In the past, when he was almost moved for Gordon Hayward, you could kind of explain that and be like, okay, that was a position of need. Like, they could come and sit at the table after that was done, and they admitted, like, we went as hard as we possibly could after a player. We need a wing. We haven't had a wing. It didn't work out, but we still believe in Miles. When you go and sign DeAndre Ayton to a max offer sheet, it's a lot harder to make that argument, right? Like, you've just tried to upgrade at his own position, and he's entering into a contract year, so... Um, in my opinion, you kind of have to assess from what they're doing, you know, how real is what they're doing right now. And they obviously have to have those internal conversations and know from him, like, are you willing to resign here? Is this somewhere that you want to be? And if he's not, I would be trying to move him sooner rather than later, because I think he has helped them win games to this point. And if he's not going to be part of your long-term future, then how helpful it is it for you to continue to, you know, be amassing wins. And maybe you could be just, you know, playing Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith, you know, totally at the five spot or even mixing in Goga Batadze, potentially going back to what it seemed like the original season goals were going to be and move on there. But it seems like they're holding on there. Maybe they, I'm guessing the, it was somewhat similar to the Victor Oladipo situation. You know, when Victor came off the bubble season, he had a very poor season. He was coming off injury. If he can come back and play for a little bit and recoup some of his trade value, they were able to flip him for Karis LeVert. You know, Miles was coming off an injury. That probably impacted their ability to move him last year. If he can come back to the start of the season and he is playing some of the best basketball of his career to this point, then, you know, maybe that helps both sides. Yeah. I, I don't see the I don't see the value in that Lakers trade that has been out there forever for Indiana. I don't What's the value in that? Why forget Westbrook, who's not going to be a part of the thing long term. We all understand that. But even twenty, even two picks in twenty seven and twenty nine. What is the value to that to the Indiana Pacers? Yeah, I, I mean, don't, the, I don't see it. Like, why would you do that? You would definitely have to have a patient approach. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you know LeBron will age out eventually, so those picks likely will be of pretty high value. But to me, it's like once. Maybe you guys would speak differently to this, but once it became so public and everybody knows like, oh, the Lakers don't want to give up both of those picks and the Pacers want both of those picks, it almost seemed less likely to happen to me because whichever team blinks is going to get automatically pegged as the loser that they lost leverage the minute it happens. (laughs) So it almost seems like that opens the door for another team to try to come in, but maybe the Pacers value, you know, those picks and being able to package those with other picks that they already have more than what I I would just be very offer. Given the Lakers' history, the Lakers don't tank. They don't. They tried it once with when Kobe was at the end, and it was a disaster. And so 
the the notion that well they're just going to be once LeBron leaves they're going to be bad. No, they're not. They're going to go sign somebody else. That's what they do. It's <laughs> what they've done their entire franchise history. They go get the next superstar, whoever they think that is. Andrew um, Nembhard is not going to the Lakers. Stop. No, it. he's not going to the Lakers. <laughs> oh, you said the next superstar. My bad. <laughs> I did. I did. No, I heard you. I heard you. And and very very well could be. But I just you know I I just didn't. I still don't see what how you can. Unless you're going to tank, unless you're just in the tanking business, and and I don't know if they are, and I don't know if they can be now. I mean, maybe this start hurt them in that regard because they don't need this, more youth. They don't no, need more youth. No, they've got they've that. Been, they've got a million young good little, players. They don't. They, need- this last blip on the road trip, they were doing great, right? They were twelve and eight. They were in fourth place. So, like um, the and even oldest though, player who plays for them, I think it might be Jalen Smith. No, like, TJ McConnell's older than him, right? Oh, that's right. McConnell yeah. does play. He's My, Miles I mean, he's down. Too. Top top eight. Yeah, yeah. What is Miles? Twenty six. Yeah, twenty six. Is he twenty six? Buddy Hill is thirty. Oh wow. Yeah, Buddy. Buddy. Buddy yeah. Hill is thirty. I, I did I'm, not know. I thought I did not know Miles. No, was Miles that is. Oh, wow. super, yeah, Miles. Is, well, that's kind of young considering. No, no, but I thought he was like twenty four. I don't know why I thought he was so young, but. So, I just Kate, feel like they're young, man. They're super they st- young. The last thing they need is to go get more youth. I agree. I agree. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now look, Caitlin, the stat that, that just blew me away during this road trip was was Halliburton, 40 assists and no turnovers. That's insane. Like you watch him every night. Is he better than you thought he would be? I mean, honestly, after I watched him throw like a hundred or a thousand passes, <laughs> two hundred and eighty jump passes or however many ended up being, <laughs> I felt like that this was on the horizon. I mean, I was on one podcast and they said, Give us your hottest take for next season and I said if the Pacers can win enough games, I think he'll be firmly in the all star conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, from pretty much the first time I saw him, like three things popped out. Just how much he wants to push the ball off of makes, I feel is very unique. He definitely wants to play at the pace that the Pacers are doing are playing at, and then his inclusiveness. Um, he's like a point guard version of Jokic and that he's going to be pass first and you're going to have to kind of force him to score, although he has upped his scoring. But just his overall vision, like, and this is not me trying to be derogatory to Malcolm Brogdon, who's having a very good season for the Boston Celtics, but going from watching Malcolm Brogdon run point guard to watching Tyrese, it's like when you get glasses for the first time and you're like, oh, that's what that looks like. Like they're running that same play, but now like Tyrese is using all this eye manipulation and he's shifting these tertiary defenders and he has this outside in passing progression and these shots for the bigs under the rim are so much easier. Like every big by the end of last season had a higher percentage on two point shots than they did when he was on the floor than when he was off. And, you know, the game just became a lot easier for everybody that was out there on the floor. And yeah, I mean, I just think he's a very special playmaker, a very special player. And he's even found some hacks like at the back end of last year, kind of the thing that you would do that I was seeing was that, you know, 
know, switching was working. So like in the first game they played against the Cavs, J.B. Bickerstaff made the adjustment to start switching Evan Mobley and, and Jarrett Allen out, and that bottled him up some. When he played his own, you know, past team, the Sacramento Kings, they went to weak to force him left, and then they would switch, and that was really effective. I think that was one of his worst scoring outings, although he did have, still have 15 assists. And now, like, some of that just isn't working anymore. Like, he's taking almost two more deep threes per game. He's really hunting the switch pocket. Sometimes he does some of that, like, Steph Curry stuff where he'll fake. Like, he's going to do, like, a right side step three, then he gets off the ball, then he relocates and cuts in front mm-hmm. of that switch in the paint and moves the ball again. So, like, even some of that just isn't working. Like, he's been kind of a coverage killer. The best effort that I've seen so far this year was when they played Minnesota and they put Jaden McDaniels on him just because he was rejecting a lot of screens away from Rudy Gobert so that he wouldn't just be like, you know, kamikaze driving into the lane against that drop coverage. So he'd go away to the screen, attack into the gap, but Jaden McDaniels is just so long that yeah. they were also ducking under screens. And that's kind of where that like Jokic thing comes from that, you know, little by little, I've seen teams start ducking under a little bit, which makes no sense because he is such a proficient shooter. But if he's not going to be willing to shoot because he's always looking to pass first, you can stay home on the rest of the Pacers shooters and kind of bait him like, will you be willing to shoot enough to get us to stop doing this? So, um, but yeah, I mean, the start to the season, that through that three game stretch that you just mentioned, 60 points, 40 assists, zero turnovers. That's just, it's absurd. It really is. So Caitlin, the Spurs, I mean, not the Spurs, the Pacers have this, uh, one of these good problems, right? Where you've got this. Halliburton, who's obviously great, and you have this super intriguing, talented young guy. Uh, how, how do you see that working going forward? I mean, if you watch the pay, like when Nimhar gets minutes, he produces. He produces mm-hmm. at a like at a crazy level. And I know the split is like starter reserve, but really, if you look at if he gets twenty like twenty five minutes, he produces at a super efficient clip. Can he play off the ball even though you've got Matherin? Like, how do they work this kind of three guard, maybe four if you throw in Buddy Hill? Because these, all these dudes can play, but they all kind of need minutes. Yeah, I mean, and Chris Duarte too. I mean, he's been out with the ankle injury, but, you know, he was very, he was impressive for them at times last year too. Um, Andrew Nemhard, I think, stands out the most to me or what he did early on was on the defensive end of the floor, almost as much as what he was doing offensively. They were assigning him like little by little. He came in at the end of the game against the Sixers and James Harden scored like eight points in a row, but he was guarding him. And I was like, Oh, he's, he's cutting off that driving lane and forcing him into a step back too. And it's contested. Like that's something. Then he did the same thing against Bradley Beal a couple games later. And then it turned out that like, okay, well now he's starting and he's defending CJ McCollum and he's starting and he's defending Scotty Barnes. And now he's playing against the Lakers and he's defending LeBron James and going from fronting him in the post to peeling off and stopping a 45 drive and rotating clear to the opposite corner and closing out to a three point shooter. Like he does a lot of things defensively that don't always get noticed in terms of like also weak side contests and vertical contests. Like, you don't always see all that stuff showing up. So in that case, like Tyrese isn't the best defender. That's still an area that he needs to work on, especially his on-ball defense. But when Andrew's out there, you can assign him to the top option and Tyrese can play off-ball. And Benedict has some, you know, off-ball attentiveness, defensive issues as well. So then you're not having to put him on top assignments either. I mean, right now they're bringing Benedict off the bench, but I think long-term, I, like, I think that the three of them could potentially play together. I mean, right now, I think their priority is if you look at the usage splits, like when Benedict plays with Tyrese, I think his usage is like 20%. And mm-hmm. the minutes when he doesn't play with Tyrese, it's like 35%. So mm-hmm. I think it just suits the team right now to have his bench scoring coming in and, and being able to get him, you know, shots in different areas while also, you know, Nemo and Mathern are part of their most used closing lineup. 
So yeah. they've they've closed games with Tyrese, Mather, Nemhard, Buddy, and Miles all at the same time. I mean, Rick has not been afraid of playing four guard lineups, as you mentioned. That's been something that they've leaned on. You, you know what's what's I, I wanted your take on this because uh, we we got the full dose of it. Andrew's picking picking role like expertise is so far beyond his years, right? Yes. Like, and the way he manipulate i mean a lot of that was draymond green either on him on ball and then you got to deal with draymond behind you after the pick or draymond was defending the road man and now you got this kind of wizard you know you got to deal with when you come off the pick and he looked comfortable in both situations whether it was getting to the rim pulling up throwing the lob uh even you know taking the the step back three is this a product of just Gonzaga runs pick and roll, so he got a lot of run at it, or is he just uniquely gifted at this part of uh, offense? I mean, I know that this was something that mattered to the Pacers during the draft process. After they drafted those three guys, being Matherin, Nemhard, and Kendall Brown, they talked about the fact that they came from programs that helped them understand what reads to make on the floor. So like Tommy Lloyd, obviously the head coach of Arizona had obviously previously worked at Gonzaga um, Baylor's program as well. I mean, the Arizona, when I talked about um, when we did our draft pod on Benedict Matherin, like they were running a lot of NBA action, somewhat yes. that were exactly yes. the same as stuff that Rick Carlisle right. employs. Yes. So it was going to be pretty easy to see that that crossover was going to fit. But like what you're mentioning, Andrew's just very good at processing Similar to Tyrese, honestly, like the one play that you're talking about, like in the first quarter, I think that the Warriors had gone to zone. They like basically screened the outside of the top of it. He comes off of it and looks off to the corner to get the guy to shift just a little bit. And then he throws Isaiah Jackson that first lob. Like he's good at reading where the guy's weight in front of him is shifted, reading that top foot, and then also reading the defenders that aren't directly involved in the play. Um, yeah, I think that he's definitely beyond his experience. He's playing more of his age, which is 22. Um, but everything he did last night, like I, I just, I don't think that you could have predicted. I mean, even as well as he's played on this road trip, watching him hit that game winner against the Lakers, watching what he did against LeBron James defensively, like what you said, like he's drawing Draymond as a primary assignment a lot of time in the first quarter. Then they put Kaminga on him, and he's basically, you know, a full court pass. Like full court, yep, yep. And then they're like doing half court traps against him. They're mixing in one two two zone, and he's having to read all of that and continuing to just, you know, basically tear it apart in the fourth quarter. Now there were some outliers. He's made like five total unassisted threes on the season, and he made three of those last night. He's not made a single three from outside 30 feet until last night. So there definitely was somewhat of a magic quality to it, but they had no other playmakers. Like, it was just him. He got hot, baby. He got hot. He was feeling good. (laughs) He was coming off them screens like, yo, they cannot guard me. (laughs) It was crazy. (laughs) Yeah, no no Tyrese, no TJ McConnell for the second night in a row. They were playing on zero days rest, and he, at the end of the game, had played 40 minutes and had 121 touches. Like, and just for reference, Tyrese leads the NBA in touches, and he averages like 96 per game. Like yeah. he had to do everything and he did it at a very high level. So, yeah, I mean, it was just an incredibly impressive performance. I, I want to get back to <clears throat> to Halliburton because one of the things I was curious about, to say the least, was I love my man Rick, but Rick Rick can choke the life out of a point guard now. <laughs> you know what I mean? He can make it very hard on a point guard. And I wondered, is he going to let this kid cook or is he going to – is he going to literally walk him down every possession, you know, and just just choke the life out of him? And how has that gone so far with those two? 
Yeah, I mean, I had similar questions. Whenever he acquired him and came over, like they had been talking about the relationship between Brogdon and Tyrese once Brogdon would be healthy. And Rick Carlisle made a comment along the lines of, you know, we're going to have two point guards out on the floor. I'm not going to have to call any plays. Like, I don't want to call plays. And then shortly thereafter, you'd watch the games and like, I know what some of the hand signals mean. I'm like, you're still signaling for like all of these plays. <laughs> and there was like a four game stretch where they really upped their transition frequency per cleaning the glass. And then after that, they fell back to the you know bottom 10 of the league. I'm like, well, this is what, you know, was going on in Dallas over the last six years. But you could kind of pin some of that on Luca because Luca wants to play at a methodical pace. I was like, this is opposite of the way that Tyrese naturally wants to play. But then what they did in the draft, you could tell that they prioritized athleticism. They have so many guys like this is a total team effort of what they do in transition every night that showed up again last night. Um, and he's unlocked him. Like if you watch now, like you'll see Tyrese is the one hand signaling a lot of stuff. You'll see him mm-hmm. calling things. That doesn't mean Rick doesn't do it at all. But just another funny note is sometimes he calls stuff out. I think he's intentionally doing it to deceive the defense. Like, I don't even think it's the play that they want to be running. (laughs) I think he's just calling it out to get the defense to think, oh, they're going to run wide. And then they go to the counter for it instead. But um, I've noticed more of that shifting to Tyrese than what was the case over the back end of the season. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Like last night we saw them go to like Buddy, you know, and he hit a couple big, big threes, but they also attacked him a lot. <laughs> uh, For sure. <laughs> I, I mean, it feels like he just doesn't have, have a fit there. What What is, what's Buddy's future? How, how does he, provided they don't do anything, uh, can he just have a diminished role where, hey, if he's making threes, you got him on the court? Because sometimes he just doesn't. I don't know what's going on with the shot sometimes, but 
What, what are you seeing from him? Yeah, they've kind of had him and Miles and uh, Matherin all kind of slumping on this road trip at the same time, which is kind of harmful. Tyrese's field goal percentage from three has kind of dipped over these last six <clears throat> games as well. Um, but with Buddy, I, I think that they still value him. Like, the defense thing is definitely a thing. Like, when they were in the fourth quarter against Brooklyn, he was guarding Kevin Durant, and Durant scored, like, 20 straight points. Um, there's times where they'll have him because he's playing kind of nominally at the four when they go small with just Miles or just Jalen where he'll be guarding post players or like David probably remembers that when they played the Wizards like they assigned him primarily to Kristaps Porzingis like he was the primary assignment there so they could switch out and so that Miles could roam off of Denny or Rui or whoever was out there but in Buddy's case like he has really good chemistry with Tyrese Um, I think that they value that because they do not isolate like if you look at their stats on synergy they're 29th in isolation frequency that's not something that they that they want to do Um, in part because Tyrese just isn't going to be great at spinning his tires and getting past length in those situations so they they always are saying we want to get to the next action and that's where Buddy really comes into play because he's a great like I call it a reignition screen but it's a ghost screen so if Tyrese has a big switched onto him just like with Nemhard last night when he was getting some of those switches you'd see Buddy just brush right in front of the ball and that creates enough indecision because of his shooting that I think that they really value him out on the floor and then he's just very smart in terms of how he respaces the floor he works really well in Carlisle's system so um, I think probably if they if those two picks would have been available, I doubt Miles and Buddy would still be on the roster. If I'm being completely <laughs> honest, but I don't think that they're necessarily in a big rush to move Buddy if they don't find a deal that they really like. I was going to ask: Is there another deal besides the Westbrook? You know, is there another deal that would make sense for those two guys? Like, like in a perfect world, I would think a guy like Jakobertel would be great for them, right? Like he'd be perfect for them. I, I think in a lot of ways, I could be wrong on it, but that's probably not there. Um, but is there another? You want Jakobertel for Miles Turner, Buddy Hill? Yes, for both yes. of them. Woo, yes, that's a lot. <laughs> yes, Jakob, you look at Jakobertel's oh, defensive I, numbers; I, they're I, insane. <laughs> Jakobertel would be great on a lot of teams. That's what I'm saying. State, like, but, like to me, you've you've shown your hand. You've shown your hand when you signed eight into the offer sheet. You said your your future's not here, young man. <laughs> so, so in essence, you're trading a guy that you're going to trade anyway with Buddy Heald for somebody that's really good defensively, like excellent defensively. That that, and then you play the three guards together, and who cares, you know? So, but that's me, and I'm not saying that deal's out there or that's even possible. But I'm, but Caitlin, do you think is there another player out there that could come in? and supplement what they already have and what they can build around. I mean, I had never even really thought about Pirtle as an option, to be honest. I don't I don't actually contemplate fake trades that much. Um, <laughs> good, good. I'm sure you have a very good like because of it. <laughs> People know not to send them to me. That's um, what we're going to do. we got to get Caitlin on a trade machine. Just, right. just, ru- just ruin our whole thought process. On kill time. Yeah, I mean, I... I don't know what Miles' thinking is. I mean, I can see some areas where, like, his free throw rate has stopped, has started to drop a little bit, but there are some areas where I do think that he has improved. He's rolling on more of his screens than he ever has, which is allowing him to draw fouls closer to the basket. I think he's already made more hook shots than he did a season ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when he sees a switch, and this has kind of been one of my very long complaints about him, is when he would see a switch, he wouldn't always recognize it and do anything about it. Like, even in his 40-point, he had a 40-point game against the Wizards a year ago, and by the end of it, the Wizards started switching and it was like oh they switched like i'm just going to stand on the perimeter like he's not very good at finding his own usage but now that you know he's back playing at the five um you can see some of the strides that he's made he's shooting the three at a, at a pretty high clip right now 
Um, but one thing that has bothered them a little bit is they've crossed, like on this road trip, if you look at it, like I don't think it's a coincidence that Jalen has had two of his career games on this trip against the Clippers and then against the Kings because the Clippers defended Jalen with Zubots and the Kings defended Jalen with Sabonis. So Miles was being cross-matched with the four. That pushed him kind of back out onto the perimeter into that more periphery role. Mm-hmm. The, the Nuggets also did the same thing with Jokic defending Jalen, then Aaron Gordon and, and Jeff Green defending Miles. So um that's something that probably to keep an eye on if you're opposing teams, because, you know, you can probably dare Jalen to shoot there. And then if you can also marginalize miles, but um, in terms of other deals, like you bring that up about Jakob Pertl, the one thing that Pertl does, that's definitely an upgrade over miles, which does feature into the Pacers offense is he's a very good handoff operator. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of shown up a little bit with, for Benedict. He's, he's kind of hit a little bit of a snag here. I think he was like four of 16 again last night, which the Warriors was not going to be a great matchup for him because teams that switch, he needs to have his defender trailing him coming off of like handoffs or pin downs. But you can see that the screen quality isn't always great on those actions for him. So, you know, if you had a guy like Jakob Pertl who could be doing more to actually create separation for him, I think he'd be even more dynamic. So that is one thing that I do think he would really help them with. Big well, you watch Pertle oh, fan, man. Dude, I love Yaka Pertle. Man. He's a, <laughs> two, two players and seven picks for Yaka Pertle. Yeah. <laughs> dude, just I'm just telling you. Look, when when you watch a game that's not the Pacers, you're watching, you know, you know, Orlando Charlotte. I don't know why you'd be watching that game, but maybe you yeah, would. Yeah, you can't watch Orlando Charlotte <laughs> and then turn your nose up at fake trades. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Are, do you watch every game the same way through that through that scout coach lens, or are there just games you want you go, man? I just want to I just want to watch you know Van Vliet score thirty five tonight, and I'm not going to care about how he does it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I do think so to a degree. Like with the Pacers, I mean, just so people know my process, like I watch that game live, and then a lot of times I will either immediately watch it again or watch it the next morning because maybe I notice something in there that I want to see more closely. And and the longer I've done this, it kind of takes some of your fandom away, to be quite honest, because you can get so in the weeds that you're focused on the details that you don't always mm-hmm. notice those highlights as much. So when you do turn on another team, it's, it's hard not to, you know, there's certain teams that I like to watch, like seeing Luca and how dazzling he can be and his ability to decelerate and get into the lane will catch my eye. And, 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 you know, if I'm just watching that and I'm not worried about writing it, then yeah, it's, it's easier to get lost in the game when it's not me watching the Pacers. But um, then, then some of the analytical side will show up too. Like I'll turn on a Raptors game and I'll be like, Oh wow. OG Ananobi definitely probably at the top of the defensive player of the year <laughs> list right now. So it is a balance. You know, you know what else I bet? I don't know this, but I bet. I bet you see a lot of like the mistakes, right? Like when you like, ah, most people will be like, oh man, he missed that shot. And you like, nah, his, his role, man, didn't go the right way. Or, <laughs> you know, or that, that was a blown defensive assignment where it looks like the person got scored over. is like, ah, he wasn't even supposed to be there. I, I feel like when you, when I watch the game that way, I see all the flaws like you, you blew that rotation right there, buddy. Whereas you're just watching it just because it's fun. Now you're just looking at you're basically just following the ball and looking for making shots. So do do they get on you about that? Like you when you when you spot like the weaknesses. Or the are the players like, damn man, why you gotta call me out like that? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because I was just talking to somebody about this, about you know during the draft process or looking at free agents or even just team stuff. Like I was like, D- what do you look at? Do you look at the reason why a player would work for a team, 
or why the player wouldn't work for a team or like what's real about the Pacers are doing right now or what might, you know, not be so real about the team right now. And they're like probably a balance of both. And I was like, you know, I think I probably look at it as to why that wouldn't work or <laughs> why this, you know, can I poke holes in this? How, how might another team defend Tyrese that might, you know, limit some of what he's doing? What might a team do against Benedict down the road? Like, so yeah, I do think that I probably do magnify the details sometimes more than that they need to be. Um, I think that this season probably has adjusted my approach a little bit, though, like knowing what this was going to be about and that it was about growth and not necessarily optimizing winning in the playoffs has made it pretty easy for me. Like if people go and look at my archives, I'm mostly just like, hey, guys, look how great Andrew Nemhard was last night. And like a week ago, <laughs> hey, guys, look at what Andrew Nemhard did against LeBron last night. Like it, it's kind of easier to zoom out and just look at what strides some of these young players are making and some of the good stuff that they're doing. Oh, you don't want to watch the Warriors, then, because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all like, yo, here's why you won't win a championship. Here's why he can't play on this team. Here's why. <laughs> well, she could be watching the Wizards. So. <laughs> <laughs> <All right>. so. <laughs> it's a different so, view with the titles at stake. It's a different view. So, Caitlin, what's, what do you think this group's ceiling is? I mean, where where could they be at the end of the year or by the end of the year? Yeah, so I mean, this has been a tough road trip with the exception of, you know, that very good feel-good win last night. I mean, I think that their offense still over the six games um, in the half court particularly, I think, has been 30th. Um, they've given up several 40-point quarters at different times for different yeah. reasons. and their, Yeah, their defensive rating has been terrible the last 10 games. I mean, it's, yeah. it's awful. So part of the thing for me, now that I'm going to go back to my analytical hat of what I just said about myself, is when they had the four-game winning streak, they played – um, Toronto first. And if you watch the first half of that game, the Raptors were, you know, as they normally are isolating and finding all the mismatches when they're playing a tiny guard lineup like the Pacers and the Pacers racked up a ton of fouls. And then the Pacers came out of halftime and they're like, Hey, let's double down on those bully drives and let's force them to beat us from three a, a solid strategy. Like that's a good situational adjustment from the Pacers, but Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Fleet were not playing. Then they played the Orlando Magic twice and Paolo Bancaro and Wendell Carter Jr. weren't playing. And they're like at the end of a game and Franz Wagner had made two threes on a switch against Miles Turner. And then they're like, let's go switch to blitz, force the ball out of his hands. And, you know, they ended up winning. Then they go to Houston. Eric Gordon torches them for 20 points in the first half. They come out and they're like, let's go switch to blitz. Well, Kevin Porter Jr. isn't playing in that game. So he's not available to isolate or do anything in four on three situations. And then they went to Charlotte and they started half court trapping LaMelo when he and Benedict Matherin were kind of exchanging scoring barbs in the fourth quarter and the Hornets shot one of seven from three over that fourth quarter. So I was kind of watching all of that and being like, these, this is the right adjustment. Like the Pacers are doing the right thing. I just don't know if all these rosters were fully healthy because they've, they've caught quite a bit of injury luck. They also played the Miami heat on the second night of a back-to-back without Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if it works if, if everyone out on the floor is there. So like they're playing Portland. Tyrese did not play in that game, but if you watch the third quarter, they nearly gave up 40 points. Um, having a lot of defensive issues, and then they started trapping. They started doing what they had done in those other games, starting trying to get the ball out of Dame's hands, trying to get the ball out of Anthony Simon's hands, and, well, now the Blazers have made 19 threes. So when you're you're playing a little bit more of a competent team that's fully healthy, and even though it was only Dame's first game back, it looks a little bit different in the light, right? Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> um, I think what they did against the Warriors was very impressive. I think the win over the Lakers was as well, but I don't – it's almost like I said, it's almost like it has this magic quality at times. And it felt very similar in the 17-18 season when Victor Oladipo had his, you know, first all-star year where it's like, you know, how real is this? And, you know, I think that their ceiling of their offense is higher than what was the case for that group. But 
I think that they probably do naturally settle back down into, you know, play in range. I don't think they're going to be as bad as the very bad teams of what we expected them to be right. or as bad right. as I expected them to be. But I also don't think they're quite as good as what we've been seeing so far either. You know, we call that, Kate. You know, we call that in our very unsophisticated world of watching basketball. Hating. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean you, you speaking the truth, but it's funny when you say anything like uh, the fans are like, "Oh, you just hate because you got to ride with the magic, Caitlin. You got to buy drink the Kool Aid." I mean, I think people should enjoy it as much as they possibly can. If they continue to do this, that would be great for people. Like, but it's gonna end. You better. Enjoy I also it now. think it's been a little bit unfair because now when they went on this road trip and started losing games, people were like, "Oh." Carlisle needs to be fired. This is awful. Well, and right. like, yeah, okay, that was weird, they, right? That they, was they weird. Were, they were overachieving beforehand, and now right, you're right, moving right. the goalposts <laughs> of what this season was really supposed to be about. Right. So. Well, we could beat Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. People were like, "Yo, can, get get Rick Carlisle." They're like, "Oh no, right. they were it, they were supposed to be in the women Yama sweepstakes." Exactly. Like that. Oh, dude. I just watched like 10 minutes of him because they're playing today. Dude, he blocked like three shots in four minutes. It's ridiculous. And there were threes. Deep threes, and he just stepped out and swat. It's just, it's just ridiculous. I know, right? Speak, oh speaking of big, I did want to ask Caitlin about uh, Jalen. Um, he couldn't, he couldn't play for Phoenix. Like Monty just wasn't, wasn't rocking with him. What was he? Oh, no, six, number, yeah, yeah, number ten pick, I think. Uh, yeah. What's yes. been, what's been the, uh, the reason for his like? Now he's looking like the guy we thought we were gonna see. You know, a couple of years ago, what's been the key for him? He he looked obviously last night was a good game for everybody, but he looked really good just staying in his lane of being athletic, hustling, playing defense, finishing. Like I mean, Kevon Looney could not keep up with him, and that's a really good like defender. What, what what's been the key for him and kind of finding a, a lane for his career? Yeah, I mean, I think in Phoenix, Monty Williams just really values playing bigger wings at the four spot, right? I don't think they liked the idea, which is why it's kind of funny because the Pacers, you know, before the season even started, had told and said that Jalen was going to be the starting power forward. I'm guessing in part because they promised him that with regards to the contract situation. But, you know, Phoenix didn't want to play Aiton and Jalen Smith together, but the Pacers apparently did want to play Aiton and Jalen Smith together. (laughs) Um, But I I think that they probably didn't like Jalen's ability to defend in space, and I think somewhat on switches that still shows up, though I think his mobility has gotten a little bit better. And I also think it goes back to playing at the four or the five. I mean, just like last night, he was the starting five. Miles Turner wasn't playing. And what you're mentioning, like, yeah, I mean, he definitely commits to running the floor and putting in early work. Um, you'll see him sealing those guys pretty early, and that that sucks in the defense as well. Um, he's played better on this road trip for sure, but I think it goes back to what I said before. In some of these games, he's being defended by the five. Like Zubots is sagging off of him, or he's being put in the screening action to act as a five rather than you know catching in situations as the four and having to put the ball on the ground. When he has to put the ball on the ground or take like a one dribble pull up, that can be a little bit perilous when he's actually playing at the four. That's not to say that he hasn't done anything well when he's playing at the four with Miles Turner, but you will see them downsize and make a choice there with one big and four guards in a lot of situations. But when he first came over with the Pacers he was shooting the three at a really high level I think he was at like 40 percent um I think I know that he valued the fact that Rick Carlisle played him even though he didn't have to I mean it wasn't guaranteed after Phoenix had turned down his rookie contract the Pacers were going to be able to re-sign him so um but Rick still gave him minutes over over you know Goga and other other centers that they had drafted at times as well so um I think that that all factors in and and he's really put together some nice stretches over the road trip here that they've been on this has been awesome. And 
I, it was as awesome as I thought it would be. And I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And can we have you on again sometime yes, during absolutely. the season? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this was great. I mean, I'm, I, 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 I like to think I know a little bit about basketball and then I read one of your stories and I go, <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> I, I, read what, I read her stories and I'm glad that she exists because I ain't doing all that. No. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, 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 man. I, that's next yeah. level. It's yeah, next level, level stuff. It's next level. Caitlin, thank you so much. And She um, straight you know, pointed out back-to-back Nimhard charges. Like, the she, new drop 30. <laughs> she told, I saw that. I saw the back-to-back like, charge. Uh, I know. That's, that's ridiculous. And, and Jumpman looked man. at 100 ju- 200 jump passes. That's just... Oh, that's man. just another level. <laughs> that's that's another crazy. Level. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Everybody, uh, give us that five-star review on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get this fine American podcast. Now, Marcus, 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 Marcus. If they can't be bothered to leave us five stars on the review, what they need to do? Keep it to yourself, you haters. Haters. We'll have Caitlin come and break down your dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and she won't be nice about it. Who, who didn't cook the beans enough? <laughs> <laughs> you call that medium well? <laughs> Later, we're out. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.